Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there. Today we're talking with Tyler Romatka, who is the founder of Lumatic. And we're going to cover a bunch of topics. We hit on building and launching a two-sided marketplace. We talk about competition at three levels, dealing with the status quo, dealing with the first industry that Lumatic is launching in, which is uh, Greek organizations, and then um, the broader market overall and how they think about that and how they position themselves for that. Talk about Tyler's role as it changes from being kind of a sole founder to now having a team and employees and thinking about what that means in the future. Uh, And it's just a really fun conversation. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Find Tyler on the social medias. Uh, I think LinkedIn is his uh, preferred method of communication. Reach out to him. Tell him you appreciate him coming on the podcast. And that's it. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Tyler Romadka, who's the founder and CEO of Lumatic. Tyler, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Nice to be here. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Lumatic? Yeah, so Lumatic is a photography management platform that helps organizations more easily capture and use photography. So you'll notice I put emphasis on those two separate things. The problem that I've seen, uh, my background is as a professional photographer, when working with organizations, you see them spend way too much time trying to to book pro photographers and get them in the right place at the right time to capture, you know, the perfect shot, quote unquote. That takes up a ton of time. And you end up with photos that you are sticking on a flash drive somewhere. Um, you use them one time, they end up lost in the ROI and that's super poor. Uh, nobody on your team has access to those photos. Uh, and six months later, you've completely forgotten about them. So what we've done is built out a platform that allows an organization not only to go and book a pro photographer at the click of a button, but also house all those photos in a way that allows every member of the organization to see the photos, download them, interact with them. Uh, And we're building some super great sharing tools um, to help the photos get out uh, where they need to be to help the organization connect with their audience more directly. There are about 700 bit versions of that pitch, and I'm sure there are some holes that, that we'll fill in in our conversation today. But, but at its essence, it's, it's that helping organizations capture and use photography. There's some bells and whistles on, on our side. Um, we kind of see it as a marketplace and, and um, our photographers that are our freelance photographers and are, are performing the shoots, um, our editors who are decoupled from the photographers who are doing kind of quality assurance for the photography, the, the clients themselves. There's a bunch of really cool stuff that the the, the platform itself does, um, and and image recognition to tag the photos. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I'm excited to dig in uh, to it all with you today. I was originally going to ask about launching a two sided marketplace, right? Because you have you have organizations that you're selling to, and then you have photographers. But it's kind of there. Is it three sided marketplace? Because you have editors as well, right? Yeah, I mean, if you were to 
make a pie chart. The editors would be the like super duper duper skinny part of the okay. pie chart. Let's let's put it this way. An hour long shoot can generate about 300 photos. We call those down to about 100 photos once we remove duplicates and, and that kind of thing. And then editing those photos takes about 20 minutes for an experienced editor, 40 minutes for a, a mediocre editor. Um, and we do that all in-house. So there's not, I don't consider that part of the marketplace. Okay. If you were to if you were to scale this company up, you know, 50 years from now. Maybe there is a an editing department that's in-house. Maybe it is uh, a part of the marketplace. But for now, we're keeping it all in-house for quality control. Okay. And what is more, dif- just at high level, what's more difficult for you to find photographers or customers? Great question. So when we started, we were looking at ways to expand into new geographies. And we started by saying, hey, let's go find a photographer. And then we can get clients because we have you know somebody who will fulfill. That was super awkward because you go to a photographer who's, who, by the way, is not familiar with this business model because this is atypical for a photographer. This is not, this is not like a common thing that a photographer would interact with. And they'd say, okay, so you're some guy in Indianapolis who wants me to take photos of an event that doesn't exist yet. And you want me to be on call and ready for you. I've got my own photography business. I don't really, this is, this is weird for me. So I'm not, I'm not as into that. What we quickly switched to is saying, okay, we'll do all the client side first because that's the revenue generation anyway. And we'll just make sure that we have two weeks notice on shoot requests. And that's plenty of t- uh, time for us to find a photographer. And often um, we're able to find a photographer in even less time. But two weeks is like, if we find somebody early, great. If we don't, we can, there's, there's some uh, uh, economics we can play with as we're incentivizing people to take the shoots as we get closer to the shoot date and all that kind of stuff. How often do those photographers then convert into repeat photographers or kind of stay on the platform? Often, yeah. Um, So right now, uh, we have about 150 clients across the country. Um, We have about 30-ish photographers. We've grown, just to to kind of paint the landscape, we grew in Indianapolis. uh, And so we have 13 of those photographers here. Um, before we decided to go nationwide, which happened in January of this year, 2020. And that photographer base is mostly repeat photographers. There are occasionally um, times where we've gotten a photographer in Atlanta for a shoot, and we haven't had a shoot since. So it's still up in the air whether or not they're going to yeah, come back. Hard uh, to know. So, so yeah. Got it. So you already did a little bit of this with current status. Hit me with any other vanity metrics real quick in terms of could be size of the team, anything you're willing to share, revenue, number of gigs. Like what what do you guys track in terms of um, traction? Yeah. So to, to kind of paint the picture there, team of, of uh, eight currently, four of which we've added in the last month. So yeah, it's been a, there's, there's a whole a long a long summer of of finding the right people and, and getting them onboarded and and also that's I mean, it's a big change for me as going from sole proprietor Tyler to Tyler with an idea with Tyler with some traction to Tyler plus one person in some traction Tyler plus two people in some traction and totally I mean re envisioning what what my role is and how we how we move forward together is, is a big topic of conversation right now well maybe topic of conversation in my head with me and myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, team of eight, um, we split the company up into uh, a few different business units. Um, fulfillment is one that we have that isn't necessarily in every business. I mean, obviously, that's super important to make sure we deliver quality photography experiences. Yep. 
and um, we have about four hundred thousand and four four to five hundred thousand in ARR uh, right now. We have our sights set on significant growth in the upcoming year. Even with COVID, we think we can we can hit our goals. We've been growing predominantly in the fraternity and sorority space. So the Greek market is a type of group. So we can service many types of groups, but Greek Greek organizations specifically all hire Lumatic to capture headshots of all their members, create a print product that they hang on their wall called a composite, and then photograph events that they have throughout the course of the year. And you talk about you know my original pitch of saying, hey, we capture photos and help you use them. And that's often to serve a goal. So in, in the case of Greek space, it's, hey, showcase all the great things that are happening in Greek life all over the country. It's no secret that there's a shortage of positive news uh, because often the negative news is what, what rises to the top. Um, so it's, it's a great use case of saying, hey, you're doing great things. Let's, I mean, and, and pictures tell a thousand words. Let's, let's capture all the amazing things that are happening and make it easy for your members to showcase these things. Kind of crowdsource, uh, grassroots um, showcasing of all that. Were, were you a photographer? Why Lomatic? Where did this idea come from? Yeah. So my background is as a photographer. My first photo shoot was field day in elementary school <laughs> at the weird part of, uh, of time where a floppy disk existed and so did a digital camera. And you would put the floppy disk into the digital camera. And so that's that, that began it all. I've been photographing as a, a professional photographer since college, I suppose. I was going to school down at IU and I would drive up to Indianapolis and I was able to work with uh, Dow AgriScience and Ice Miller and, and the IMA. And I don't know why they were hiring me as, as a, in my mind, a college student, but I guess the, the, the work um, came and, and I guess my output was, was what they were looking for. Um, and, and I had some really great opportunities to work as a photographer with different organizations. And, and, and I was seeing this problem uh, everywhere, which was that one, they were hiring me because they went online to find a photographer and they found me. And it's really hard to buy photography online because everybody has a website and everybody's got 10 good photos. So if you're not a photographer, how are you going to tell who's good? Who's going to show up on time? Who's going to uh, be the right personality fit for your shoot? Who knows the technical things that that are behind what makes a good image versus everybody who might, you know, be 80% or 50% proficient at those things. I also saw that in all my relationships with the clients, they knew who I was, but I um, didn't necessarily know everybody because when you're dealing with a group, you may have a hundred people you interact with. There's only one photographer. So it's like, oh yeah, Tyler, the photographer. And as soon as I moved on to the next client, I, I lost a connection with them. And as soon as they move on, let's say somebody moves jobs from one company to another, that connection is totally lost. So I thought, well, hey, what if we can put together a platform that makes it easier to buy photography service and that's sticky to retain um, a customer and and Really, to do that, all we'd have to do is give them things that they want, which is access to their photos without the normal photography model of like, I'm going to charge you to see and use your photos over and over again, and some modern tools to help them find the photos more easily, get them where they need to go, and and the rest is kind of history. Nice. Thank you for that. All right. So when you think of competition in the space, who or what comes to mind? There are a few ways to look at that question. Considering that of our 150 organizations right now, 99% of them are Greek, I have to give the Greek-specific answer. 
I also want to give the holistic answer in terms of our industry, which is probably yeah. the answer that's most appropriate for your question. And then um, I also want to say that the status quo is a competitor. Uh, and I'll start off with that one. Right now, there's a mediocre experience that exists. There's a lot of people using that mediocre experience. And that's the experience that you outlined, your personal experience back when you were a photographer. Yeah. Well, and the, the client of, is going to go online, go on Google, try to find a photographer. They're going to react to their shoot needs. They're going to say, oh, we have an event coming up. Oh, we got to go get a photographer. And they're doing that over and over and over again. And the photos are ending up in a flash drive somewhere. And that's, and that's just how things are, right? And so there's no object in motion tends to stay in motion. It's hard to disrupt somebody's behavior and, and change that. So that's, that's definitely worth noting. Okay. My Greek-specific answer is uh, that often our wedge product is the composite. As I mentioned, that print product that has everybody's headshots hung on the wall. There are about four composite companies, and they've all been in business for about, let's just say, many decades. And I don't want to use the word complacency, but there's definitely some behavior that was developed decades ago, and there hasn't been a lot of innovation in the space. So they have a majority of the market share. Um, they have everything Lumatic doesn't. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And going in and disrupting that has been, I also don't want to say it's been a treat, um, but because they ha there hasn't been a lot of innovation, uh, we're able to come in with a drastically different approach and get chapters to sign up for something that they're excited about when ordinarily they can think of the composite as a burden of something that they'd have to do. So we can say, hey, we're going to give you a composite plus a suite of lifestyle photo shoots for the same price you're paying now. Huge value add. Plus, we're going to give you technology that makes it easy. Uh, one thing that I've learned as a photographer, or one thing that I've learned since calling myself a, just a photographer, is that people actually don't want to deal with anybody else. Like you think like when you go to, to show up to take photos, you're like, I'm providing a value of being here. That's part of, part of the reason why you hired me so that I can be here. And that's true, but it's not entirely true at a group level. The person who hired you is like, yeah, I like this person. They're going to come. They're going to take photos. But when you spread that across 100 people, 95 of them are just like, I don't necessarily, I just want the photos to exist. I just want them to magically exist. It's just hearkening back to what I was saying before about the um, the composite companies, we found that there's a lot of room for just giving them tools, better value, and also this, this kind of humanless experience. Instead of having to call a rep to buy the product or go and fill out an email to talk to somebody, you just have this kind of humanless experience, this, this, this platform where you can go and enter the information and out comes the result that you want. So those are my first two answers. All right. So if I were to plot the two axes of our competitive landscape, they would be organizations who have a photographer marketplace. We'll call that our, our y-axis and organizations who have digital asset management. So are they providing you with a place where you can go and book photography services? Are they keeping your photos long-term? And there are definitely organizations who do one really well, but not the other at all. And there are ones that do both kind of mixed. Uh, and, and what you end up with when you plot it all out is, is a few different trends. And I'm going to try to audibly explain this visual this. chart. Yeah. But let, let's start off with some, some ones that are recognizable by everybody. Dropbox, Google Photos. They are digital asset management. They will store your photos. They will provide you tools to use those photos, sharing them, finding them, connecting other people to them, uh, to access them. But they're not helping you book a photographer, obviously. Right. 
you can go in and imagine because I can I, I'll name I can name a couple examples of this, but you can imagine an Uber for photography model. Yep. Which is I click a button and I get a photographer, but I'm not necessarily having my assets stored. That's the opposite end of the spectrum. What ends up happening in that model is that you have a propensity to get one-off clients. I'm going to book one shoot at a time. I may be a return client, but I'm often going to have one interaction at a time and, I, and, I, and I'm not necessarily guaranteed to return. What's interesting and where we fit in is when you combine those two things, not only can I help you book a photographer, but I'm also going to store everything for you. It allows you to open up this business model around um, being a long-term partner and saying, I'm going to start off by saying, what do you want to book overall throughout the course of a year? Let's go ahead and put this in upfront. And we're going we're gonna to sell you the services in bulk. And we're going to store all the photos in a way that provides value to you as an organization. And we're also going to give access to all of your members. That third thing I mentioned, if, if, if we really want to get fancy, would be the Z-axis of our, of our chart is this kind of group-centric fo- focus. What's interesting is you also kind of have an overlay there of uh, B2C um, tendencies in the, in the one-off arena versus B2B tendencies in the kind of bulk sales arena. And where I think Lumatic stands out for, from what I've observed, and certainly I haven't seen every single thing that exists in the world, but the, the unique thing about Lumatic is this group-centric focus. You may end up with a B2B product out of the fact that you happen to be at the right place of this diagram. And that's, that's who buys your product. But I think it's a different thing to take a group focus to it, to say we're specifically going to go in and recognize the problems that groups have in buying and using photography, capturing and using photography. Then we're going to, to build out tools that help the organization reach its goal, which is to showcase all the great things that they're doing. They're capturing photos for a reason, which is to showcase and tell their story. They've got members by definition. What we're doing is meeting them there kind of where they are, which is I've got members, I've got a story to tell, and I want to better tell it. And we're saying, okay, great. Let's build a photography plan that's going to define what you're going to capture. Let's give you tools that allows you to, to easily manage how those photos are captured and that allow every single member of your organization to see and download and interact with and share the photos. And now all of a sudden, your story is captured, your members have it in in their hands, and we've made it so intuitive and easy for them to, at the click of a button, get your message out there and showcase everything. And that's where the magic starts. Okay, now I'm I'm hung up on something now. It just occurred to me, you've said a couple of things now that imply a real B2B relationship between Lomatic and the organization that you're serving. So... That earlier you said there, you know, there's a conversation of what what are your goals for this year? What photo shoots do you want? Maybe there's this, maybe there's an element of bulk pricing we can put into that if we if we understand all of those things. And and now this this specific conversation around a, a specific shoot and what's the story and what are you trying what are you trying to accomplish and how do we make sure all those elements are present when we do that? Those are obviously dialogues with a human. That's not me going into a marketplace, an, an Uber for photographers and saying, hey, I want to photographer to just show up, do this. But I also want you to maybe help me with digital assets long-term. So on that continuum of, you know, on, on one side, it's, it's 
Uber for photographers with asset management all the way to now there's like an account manager at Lumatic who's checking in with this client on a regular basis, according to some schedule in a CRM, like those to me feel like the polar extremes. Where are you in that? I think the answer is found in how modern technologies can automate a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Great answer. All right. So if, if we are on the account management side, does that mean we have to have a person doing that? Or can we have the platform manage the account? If we're helping them build a photography plan, does that need to be a person uh, on the phone with paper and pencil writing down everything? No, of course. At least they'd have a spreadsheet, right? Well, what if their spreadsheet was automated and it let them calculate things for them? Well, what if that automated spreadsheet was intuitive enough that the client could um, fill it out themselves? Is that not the same thing? And so we've kind of taken that approach all, all the way around. I, I fall into this habit of saying we do X, Y, Z, we do blank. Uh, and I'm constantly reminded to reinforce the idea that the platform does blank. I used a vocabulary word photography plan earlier, and that's that's real word. That's yeah. what, what we do is we start off with every organization helping them build a photography plan. And the tools that help them do that are, are automated. You asked a question about bulk sales, and that made me realize, you know, we're peeling back the onion. What's the next layer? We sell every, what we end up selling is a points package. So an organization buys a bundle of points, and then they trade those points inflexibly throughout the course of the year. It allows them to decouple their, their spend of dollars from their spend of points. And within an organization allows a finance department to do what they do and a marketing department to do what they do without having onerous, you know, tasks to, to communicate between the two. So you, you create your photography plan, you activate a points package, the platform then knows what your photography plan is and is able to convert that into uh, shoot drafts, which are then able to convert into real shoot bookings, which are then able to go out and ping available photographers in a network and which is, you know, then does that thing, which is, you know, capture great photos. There's, there's another layer kind of happening behind the scenes, which is, you know, identifying who, who's a good photographer and giving them the proper information that they need to do their shoot to make sure that they show up and take great photos. Uh, and then those photos are delivered from the photographer to the platform. The platform is editing them. Uh, there's a lot of editing automation that can and does occur. And the quality assurance kind of happens at that stage. And then the photos are passed on to the client in a way that allows the, the you know, head of marketing who booked the shoot and did the photography plan up front to use all the photos, but also allows every member of the organization to see and download and interact with the photos. The kind of big question is, is it possible to have a quality experience that is seemingly personal with only technology? And I, I, I think the answer is yes. I mean, that's what we're finding. Yeah. Do you guys have swag at Lumatic? Do you, do you hand out swag to employees or photographers? We don't hand out swag is not the answer you're looking for. That, I'm shaking my head. I yeah. mean, why? Well, why would you not want all eight of your awesome employees to wear the brand, the brand. And, and, and show off to their friends and family what an awesome company they have? Well, let me rephrase. Let me, let me, let me change my answer. We haven't had business cards 
since we founded the company. Okay. So we don't have a lot of physical items. Okay. But we do have t-shirts. Oh, that's swag? That's swag. Okay. There we go. Right on. Uh, okay, so you have t-shirts, and is that just for employees, or do you, do you when, when somebody comes on as a photographer, do they rep the brand while they're at the photo shoot? Right now, it's only for employees, but we've kind of visualized this idea of, of giving things to photographers. We're still cautious on, I mean, everything that's going on in California with the idea of an employee versus a yeah, freelancer. Yep. What, are we, yes, yes. what are we telling them? Is it implied that they need to wear this at their shoot? So we've kind of steered away from, Ooh, that's from that for now. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That, that's good. Good little insight there in this little promotion as well. All right. Well, if you're listening to this and you want to get swag for your employees or your photographers, you can do that at uh, fuelmerchandise.com. Mention Star Propeller's podcast and get a discount on your first order. I'm going to jump rails here for a minute because when, so when you unpack all that, I mean, that sounds fantastic. Art. The thing that immediately starts to occur to me then as you think of different ways of maybe pulling that information from your customers or finding maybe more real-time ways to interact with them around either their shoots or their planning for their shoots, are there any either existing technologies or maybe emerging technologies that have you excited as you continue to grow Lomatic that you know you might be able to invest in those? Low-hanging fruit would be kind of like... AI bots and, um, you know, voice interactions like Alexa and stuff like that. And then, you know, bigger picture things could be, you know, anything from, you know, the next generation of machine learning and ways that you can anticipate what your client wants versus what they, you know, what, what they think they want, maybe better ways of editing photos and really identifying based on clients, past preferences for photos, what they're really going to like from a shoot and things like, you know, like a lot more predictive stuff. Anything on the technology roadmap that has you excited around how you make that experience better? I'm going to give you one non-technical answer, and then I'll give you some technological answers. The One of the things that we do to make sure that we can give a great experience to everybody, but also stay kind of uniform and normalized, is, is focusing on group, group types. So which market are we going to expand into? Rather than saying, hey, we're Uber for photography we have a person who needs to get a ride to school. We've got a person who needs to get a ride to a bar. We've got a person who needs to get a ride to work. We've got a person who's in a hurry to get to the airport. All of those are very different. What we'll say is, hey, we're going to focus on one at a time and expanding and learn in, into each one. Thus, Greek organizations. Yep. And now we're expanding into associations generally, um, alumni associations. Uh, there's some, some trial in, in youth sports. Nonprofits. Uh, we, a great example is we work with the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Site. Um, they've been one of our; they were our earliest uh, non-Greek client. And being able to to learn a market, identify the needs of that market, build experiences around that, and then grow into that market allows us to to short circuit a lot of a lot of what would otherwise be cumbersome, you know, unique needs. Everybody everybody's unique unless you normalize it. Got it. So that's our non. That's my non-technical answer. That's the more it's tactical. It's a great answer. Okay. Uh, and then one of the things that I'm really proud of that we do as a company is is kind of decouple everything. We I mentioned we decouple the photographer from the editor. We decouple the, the with the points package. We decouple the the spending dollars from the spending points. Your question is addressing kind of the company as a whole and and things that happen throughout the entire experience. And I think what we do with with kind of decoupling things allows us to to address each couple, I guess, uh, each couplink would be the word there, individually. And there's technology for each step. Now getting to the, the, the meat of your answer, AI image processing, 
to, to create normalized results uh, that look great, that's technology. Automated account management software that allows us to input uh, a regular cadence of outreach, which is what an account manager would do if, if they were pencil and paper and phone call. That's, that's technology that we use. Chatbots managing a, a tactical versus technical thing is, is you know making sure we have one point of contact in the group rather than 100 people contacting us. But of course, we want to make sure that if, if somebody in the group who's not that one person has a question, they're able to reach out to us using technology to, to make sure that the solutions in our knowledge base are readily available and uh, understanding what, what people's questions are uh, and ideally solving them before they even have the question. That's use technology for all that. So earlier you mentioned you're going through a transition, a leadership transition, right? So what did this business look like when it was just you, then you and a couple of employees, and now you just doubled the size of the company last month? What, what does it look like going forward? And conceivably, that's, that growth is going to continue at some pace, right, in the, in the coming months and years. So how are you thinking about that? I think... Leadership transition suggests it's it's moving from A to B, from apples to oranges. And I think that um, I look at it more of as, as an evolution. And there's then two facets of that. There's what's happening with Tyler and how is he growing as uh, from the sole proprietor to leader of a quickly growing startup um, to leader of a, you know, let's fingers crossed, you know, $100 billion uh, company. Yeah. And then there's also how is the company itself evolving as more people are added and, and how are we maintaining strong culture and, and alignment with all the team members. That's been very top of mind for me lately, not surprisingly, uh, since we just doubled the size of the team. One thing that I've been really focusing on, uh, especially in COVID, since a lot of our team members have never seen each other in person, is making sure that we're communicating expectations on who's working and how they're working and what they're doing, which sounds obvious, but... When, when there's literally no clear beginning and end of the workday, it's really easy for people who have a tendency to work really hard to get burnt out. And when the team is small and uh, I'm used to doing everything, I probably have a tendency of going in and micromanaging a little bit. And I don't want to have the tendency. It's just a side effect of me having done their role three months ago. Right. Um, How are you communicating those expectations? I... For this round of hiring, I specifically wanted to hire for thought leadership and execution. So rather than choosing, uh, if we went from four to eight, rather than choosing to hire four taskmasters, I chose to bring on at the kind of director level, people who, of course, are still doing all the tasks, but that I can empower to, to do so autonomously. So walk me through, pick one of those in your head. You, you don't have sure. to say which one. Walk me through how you distinguish in an interview process the difference between somebody who could just show up and do the work versus somebody who can show up, do the work, and make the work better over time. Sure. This might be this might be a, a, a cheap answer, but I, I basically said, hey, we've... If, I guess the, the, the good answer is focusing on the goal, not the task. Saying, hey, we want to do this. For this reason, hey, here's what the company does. Here's where we're going. This is how I see you fitting in. General overview of job description. Yep. What do you think about that? And finding out how to answer. I mean, there's it's 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 a pretty clear difference when you, somebody says, "Well, I, I don't know. What am I supposed to do?" Versus, "Oh, that's really interesting." And they start asking questions like you're asking me today, and you, you can just tell. You can tell that it's it's hiring for personality. I think. 
is is the is the number one thing. And then there's also a layer of you know background experience. Have they done it before? Or are they just kind of pulling it out of nowhere? But if they've got a kind of hustler mindset, like I'm gonna I'm gonna do what it takes to get it done, then anybody can do anything. And then on top of that, if they also happen to have some experience to showcase that they've like can put their money where their mouth is, then that's a plus. And we went through in the interview process and also tactically did a few rounds. We gave them a homework assignment and said, here's a bunch of information. What would you do next? And got their answers. And that was really, that was actually really telling. And for one of our positions, we did that first. And then for one of our positions, we did that last, like in the interviewing process. And it's really interesting with the one where we did last, you have like, you know, 10, 12 good candidates. Then you do that and you have like five people who just don't do it. They just didn't even do it? They just didn't even do it. And it, and it wasn't, it wasn't a like, I mean, these people were interested in the job and they emailed back and it's like, yeah, I, I either they said, I got the, the assignment and it was enough work for me to showcase that I didn't, like I was not interested in doing all this work to get the job. So they're not interested in doing the work to get the job and they're probably not interested in doing the work once they get the job. That's great insight. And then there's also, uh, there were also the, the quick answer, the like, I outlined three pages of information and then they give me three paragraphs of a response, including like redundant information in paragraph one, two, and three. And that's not the same as the person who goes in and answers and their, and their answer is, you know, an additional five pages, not to suggest that length is, is equal to quality, but you can tell when somebody's going to dig in. And at our stage, that's what you need. Right, you can't you can't hire somebody who's so good. Going to do just just one thing and, and just do what they're told. You need somebody who's going to say, "I'm going to do what needs to be done," and I also understand that I am responsible if it doesn't go well. Not because my boss is going to come and give me a hard time, but because like my job is only going to get harder the worse I do at my job. Creating that that alignment and that incentive and that feedback loop is is um, really important. If you haven't picked up on it by now, I've I've been described as a systems thinker. I didn't think that, that originally, <laughs> but when I heard it, I was like, that sounds about right. So a lot of my focus, a lot of time, I spend my time thinking about how it works and and all the levels of it. When you're driving, are you thinking or are you listening to podcasts to stop thinking? What are you What are you doing? What does that look like? What are you doing in downtime? I listen to music. Okay. I, you and I were joking before the podcast and I'll, and I'll open up the, the, um, conversation uh, again to bring this up. I don't often watch the news. I don't have social media accounts. I don't spend my time on anything really other than being with my family, working a lot and trying to hang out with my friends every once in a while. And a lot of time, actually pretty much always, those are all layered on at the same time. I think there's a side effect of being a photographer, right? You don't, when, when you work for a company, uh, well, it's a side effect of, of being a sole proprietor. When you work for a company, you have clear cut defined, like you show up at this time, you do this thing, you do that thing, then you go and then you, you kind of segment your life. Someone else is telling you what success looks like. Yeah. Success and, and you've got, you kind of compartmentalize things. Yeah. And you can't do that when, when you have to run a company, right? You just do it all, all the time. And amen. That's, so that's, that's how I spend my time. Yeah. It's a great answer. All right, we're uh, we're getting close to time. If folks want to get in touch with you to ask you follow up questions or to learn more about Lematic, what's the best way for them to do that? If they just reach out, message me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always I'm always up for a, a good conversation with a new 
New Mind. Spell your last name for listeners. Uh, my first name is T-Y-L-E-R, and my last name is H-R-O-M-A-D-K-A, and that's pronounced Romadka, and that's Czech. And if you have any other questions about my last name, reach out on LinkedIn. It's Czech, and it rhymes with vodka. That seems very appropriate. Somehow. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. All right, Tyler, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Awesome, thanks. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.